How is it going, everybody? This is Sean Barnes. I want to welcome you to episode 57 of The Way of the Wolf. On the show today, we've got a very special guest. I've known this gentleman for probably five or six years. We met at Lift Strong Run Fast with Scott Wells, who was on one of our previous episodes. And probably about two years ago, we met up. I reached out to him. I was struggling with a few things and wanted his perspective. He said, yep, let's meet up. Let's grab a cup of coffee. Bought me a cup of coffee. We sat down for probably an hour. And man, that conversation changed my life, which we'll talk about. Pretty interesting stuff. But it, it helped me with the challenge at hand, but also helped me find my purpose and start moving forward on, on my mission. So this gentleman was in the U.S. Navy. He's an actor, a writer. He is the founder and director of the Vell Institute and is very passionate purposeful, and has a mission of helping others do good. Terry Weaver, welcome to the show. Man, thank you so much. I had no idea, so I'm excited. Uh, that That is payment for me to hear that. Really is. Well, I, I you know, I can't thank you enough for, for that conversation. I had Chase Banks on recently, which I think you know, and we talked a little bit about how sometimes in lives we will encounter and have conversations with people that have a profound impact on us. And maybe we don't even realize it, but just that that one little conversation can can do incredible things for people, which stems to the purpose of this show, just trying to help people out, help people become the best version of themselves and find their purpose. It's a noble mission, so thanks for thanks for doing what you're doing, man. All right. So, let's go ahead and start this off. Who is Terry Weaver? Wow, what a what a loaded question. I would I would first say that um, I'm a uh, follower of Christ. I that I'm compelled to say that. That's that's uh, that's who I am, and that's who I want to be. And uh, I'm a father. I'm a husband, and um, I want to be a friend and a helper, an encourager to a lot of people. I love that. Has that always been part of who you are? No, no, no. That has been a lot of work and a lot of struggle, a lot of mistakes, a lot of stubbornness to get there. But, um, you know, this is a, a journey. Life's called a journey for a reason. So it is. Yeah. You know, what's what's funny about that is I've talked about this on the show before, how early on in my career, all of the goals, all of the things that I was trying to accomplish, it was how can I how soon can I get this salary? How soon can I get this title? And I realized over the past five to six years that those were all kind of inwardly focused. And once I espoused a philosophy of helping others, that's when the magic started happening. That's when my life completely turned around for the better. And so I I am really looking forward to getting into this conversation and talking through some stuff. So um, above and beyond that, anything else you want to share before we start diving into some of the incredible things that you've done? Yeah, I just encourage uh, everybody that's watching. We've got a little Facebook Live going here. And I just encourage everybody to follow Sean Barnes, S-E-A-N-B-A-R-N-E-S, and, and the Way of the Wolf podcast, because the people you're bringing on this show are good people, man. And we need to be influenced by good people. So uh, join in the discussion and, and check that out. You're, you're putting good stuff out. Uh, I can't thank you enough. And, and it has been a journey for me. You and I were talking about this just a few moments ago about what this has been like to, to pull this show together and, and start creating something and figuring out what works and, and what's meaningful for me and what I wished 
I would have had a few years back in terms of actually many years back now that I think about it because I made so many mistakes along the way. But I think that's part of the journey and part of learning. That's right. All right. So you have written a number of books. Um, I'm going to go ahead. Do you mind if I read through the list of these books? Absolutely. So you have Evolution of a Leader, which came out in 2019, A Dark Day in Texas in 2020, All My Best, Wisdom and Encouragement for a Better Life, also in 2020, and Whitewashed Tomb in 2021. That's a lot of books in a very short period of time. I made a commitment in uh, 2018 that I was going to use my my life and kind of the rest of my life to to leave something here. And I thought one of the most lasting mediums is writing. So that uh, that spurred me to go after it and just and write and and write meaningfully and write in two different genres to help people. Um, I think that, uh, you can influence people through a lot of ways. And I'm thinking back to a book that I'm, that I just finished from Robert McKee. It's called story. And he mentions that back in the 1800s and leading up to that point, people were influenced by kind of four things, philosophy, science, religion, and art. And they kind of created a life plan from little pieces of these segments of, of these different disciplines or philosophies. But many of that has been thrown out. And, and the one thing that we know that influences people today is art. I'm talking writing. I mean, podcast fits in there, television. So I thought I started to ask myself, how can I influence others? And creating was the answer. So I, you know, what's interesting about that is that's kind of the path that I'm going on with this. And I, and I have aspirations to write a book. And I, actually, I have, I have two kind of paths that I want. I would like to write one on leadership, actually kind of with a similar format to this book, Evolution of a Leader, which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more here in a moment. And then the other one would be around integrations, because for the majority of my career, I've been fortunate to work in oil and gas and be a part of close to 50 acquisitions and integrations. So it's something that I enjoy and I'm passionate about. And those are the two ideas that I have for, for writing a book. I haven't, I'm not quite there yet. I'm starting to kind of formulate my thoughts, but after we finish recording, I'd like to pick your brain on that. Happy to. All right. Okay. So one of the things that I would like is I have bookmarked here a section of this book, Evolution of a Leader. So for those of you that are seeing this, whichever camera you're looking at, it's it's an incredible book. And, and Terry, I have to say, I love the format here and how you've broken out these chapters in kind of an, a, a quick and easily, easily digestible format. So you've got Connection, The Power of Wise Counsel, Leaders in Battle, The Foundation, and then, let's see, Leaders and Imposters, which is one that I, I would like to touch on partially because on the YouTube channel, this video that I created over a year ago or close to a year ago has more downloads. And it was just a quick five minute snip on my thoughts on imposter syndrome. So I highlighted something here that would resonate and I would love it if you could read this to the audience for us. Sure. Thanks, man. All leaders who step out and aspire to live significantly at some point in time are confronted with the thought of being an imposter. They often question if they are worthy of leading others. These doubts stem from many things, including our life experiences and our own levels of self-worth. 
At some point, successful leaders must recognize they can overcome the imposter phenomenon by believing they are called to something greater than self. When we are called to something greater than self, our work is no longer about us. It's about doing everything we can to do to prepare for and accomplish our calling so we can serve others and answer our call. Man, I love that. It resonated with me so much. Thank you for reading that. Absolutely. Share some of your thoughts, and and I'm going to share my perspective on that, but share some of your thoughts. What prompted that, and what does that mean to you? Well, it's interesting. Um, This chapter Mm -hmm. came from a phenomenon that happened in a group of people that I'm a part of. I'm a Tillman scholar, and uh, I I got the scholarship from uh, the Tillman Foundation back in 2011, and it helped me get through school. Pat Tillman, hopefully many people know about him and his story. He died in combat, friendly fire. His family decided uh, that they would start a foundation in his name. And there are some incredible scholars. And what happens is every year, these scholars get together for a leadership summit. And invariably, people come to that summit for the first or second time, maybe the fourth or fifth or seventh. And there's this imposter syndrome that drops on people because we have people like uh, mayors of huge cities who are Tillman scholars. We have astronauts. We have doctors. We have PhD. I mean, it's this incredible uh, joining of, of just remarkable people. And this thing, imposter phenomenon, comes up every single time people talk about it. And it's almost like a blanket that kind of drops on the place. And Um, I think it needs to be addressed. Everybody deals with it. And, you know, people deal with it because of comparison. We walk around comparing ourselves to everybody around. That guy's taller than me. He's probably smarter than me. He reads more books than me. This happens every single day. And and that's a trap. Comparison is a a, a thief of joy. I think that is a Roosevelt quote. Um, And I mean, it's the truth. We get wrapped up in our heads comparing and it's a trap. It's an imposter deal. You know, and, and the comparison aspect of it is is something that, admittedly, I haven't even thought about. I've I've talked to a lot of people and coached a lot of people through the imposter syndrome, and for me, it's always about okay, once you once you find your purpose and realize that you're here to help others, that that imposter syndrome kind of fades away. But whenever you mentioned that about having mayors and astronauts, and it can be hard not to compare yourself when you're in a room with people of that caliber that power, that level of intellect, it, it's, it can be very easy to fall, fall victim to like, oh my God, do I deserve to be in this room? Should I be in this room? And so I think confidence also plays a part in it. Yeah, I think confidence plays a part in it, but also I think knowing that you are, there's no other Sean Barnes on this earth, man. And I think you were put here for a reason. I mean, I honestly believe that. Just like there's no other Terry Weaver on this earth. And I like this quote, I think it's by Emerson, that uh, every man that I meet is superior to me in some way. And in that, I'm going to learn a, a, from him. If we, if we just know that everybody's special and everybody has a purpose, we know that we're special. We have a purpose. No, we, we stop comparison and start focusing on our strengths. And we can use those strengths to help others. You know, when we get too self of, self-absorbed and we think about us versus others, our life just unravels, man. It does. It does. You know, and, and another thing that resonated with me, 
is whenever you consider the fact that we all have our strengths and weaknesses. And one of the things that I found in being very fortunate to lead some incredible teams over the years is, and there's a quote, and I can't recall um, where I heard it, but it was, build a team so strong you don't know who the leader is. And one of the things that I love about that is the fact that when, when I look around the room and, and the different teams and functional domains that I'm fortunate to lead, everyone in the room is an expert in their field. And when we have team meetings, when one person speaks, everybody listens because they know, hey, they are the expert in this domain. They are the expert in their field. And there's a lot of times when I take a back seat and say, hey, you know what? You're the expert here. How would you like to proceed? What's the best route to, to do this? And I think that's, that's key to building strong teams is to, to check your ego. I've seen a lot of leaders that have a pretty big ego and they're afraid to take that back seat. I'm curious on your perspective on ego and how it plays into all of this. Yeah, I mean, the ego is necessary, but, um, you know, this inflated ego is a problem that people have. I mean, I've dealt with it. It almost buried me. Um, you've done a good job of setting a good culture in the room that you hold meetings in. It's all about that. I mean, mm -hmm. if we go into the room expecting to learn from others, we will. Mm -hmm. If we think we're the best and we've got this overinflated ego in the room, uh, then we're not going to learn anything. No. We're just going to reaffirm what we know and, you know, stay stay jacked, stay jacked up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So let's, let's run through a few of these other books here. A Dark Day in Texas. Tell us a little bit about what that is. Yeah. Dark Day in Texas is a, uh, it's a story about a young veteran. He happens to be a former Navy guy like myself, a corpsman who goes through some stuff, comes back to the woodlands. It's set right here in, in this area. And, uh, he goes through a period of life, probably about three or four years where he's just, you know, burying himself and he finally finds his purpose. And that purpose comes from, um, something tragic that happened in his life. His father dropped dead in front of him when he was a kid. And the first person to console him was a police officer. And he decides he wants to become a police officer. This is a fiction, fictional tale. And when he decides to become a police officer, he starts chasing that dream, but all hell breaks loose. And uh, of course, an evil villain appears and tries to keep him from that purpose. And that's kind of a little bit about the story. I, I would say it's a good combination of military kind of guys running through town facing an, an evil villain. But the story is about purpose. It really is. Like, how do we, how do we chase a purpose and not let anything keep us from it? Yeah. So this is, this is actually a rabbit hole I do want to go down whenever I, I think about purpose and finding our purpose. There's a lot of people, not a lot. There are some people that I have conversations with and coach and, and, you know, maybe they struggle with what is my purpose. Mm -hmm. And I have my thoughts on this, on helping people find that. But if someone were to, if I were to come to you and say, Hey, Terry, what is my purpose? How would you respond to that? Well, that's something only you can find. I can't tell you what that is. And then I mean, how do I find it? That's, that's deep discovery. I think years of work. I think it's, I think it takes years of work and everybody's journey to finding their purpose is different. Mm -hmm. I mean, you really have to seek. And if you seek, you'll find, yeah. um, there's a quote, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Christian and I believe scripture, but there are different philosophies that back up this idea. For example, Rumi, um, says, uh, what, what you're seeking is seeking you. 
What you're seeking is seeking you. When you seek your purpose, your purpose will seek you. Another quote is, uh, you know, when a student's ready, the teacher will appear. So when we start looking for something, it usually presents itself. Mm -hmm. You find what you seek. That's right. Yeah. I believe that. So that's, and you know, one of the things that, that I've shared in terms of guidance for, for people is it might not always just come to you. It takes years, to your point, it takes years for us to find our purpose. And sometimes you have to do things that are, are not core to who you are or not a part of, or things that you never imagined you would do. And I've, I've shared with you a little bit, I'm, I'm an introverted heart, never in a million years that I think I would create a podcast and a YouTube channel. That's just not me. And in recent years, I've, I've come to realize this is my calling. This is my purpose is to be able to help others achieve the things they want to achieve and help others become the best versions of themselves. And the, the best way I know how to do that is to share my experiences, bring people like yourself on the show and talk through things that you've gone through and, and how your life has unfolded and how you found your purpose. And while the people that are listening, they might not ever create a podcast or they might not ever be a coach or a mentor or anything like that, but maybe they have a passion around art for example, and they have the potential to be this phenomenal artist if they just start exploring that and following it and working on it and realizing, hey, this is this is what I love. And some people might go down that path and spend a few years on it. You know what? This isn't really for me, right? And that's okay, but you learned along the way and you found something, you found out something about yourself that maybe you didn't know before. So I think getting different experiences and putting yourself out there in situations and environments that you wouldn't normally operate in is probably a key part in trying to find that purpose. Yeah. And I, I think, um, I don't want anybody to be mistaken. I've made so many mistakes, man. I mean, I've just gone down really bad paths and that's a part of the journey. You know, that's, that's a testimony. That's a, uh, a story that I can tell people who may be going down a similar path that can help them. So, um, I agree. You got to try a lot of things and you really have to try to try to search out your purpose mm -hmm. and seek that out. Yeah, I agree. So, okay, let's talk a little bit about all my best wisdom and encouragement. Now I've ordered this book hasn't showed up yet, but I have also ordered this book. Um, tell me a little bit about what I'm in for. Yeah, these are really, um, small life lessons. I've tried to pull in a story from me or a story from a mentor, or it could be a fable or a tell that I've, that I've heard and uh, structure kind of a, a, just a little life lesson around that. And I just wanted it to be a, a, a nightstand book where you could pick it up, read three pages and lay it down. So in that book, there's a chapter, it starts off with the dream chapter. And I, I hold the um, position that, that you have to have a dream. You have to have something that you're chasing. Otherwise, what is this, what is this life for? I mean, maybe it's a better version yourself. Maybe, maybe it's some other dream, but you got to have a dream or a purpose in this life. You I do. really, yeah. Well, and, and that contributes to a sense of fulfillment and happiness and joy and, you know, I, I've admittedly had my, my ups and downs, especially working in oil and gas. There's so, so many ups and downs and stressors, booms and busts. And, you know, it was, again, if I flash back 10 years ago, it was all 
inwardly focused, what can what can I accomplish? And over the past five years, about five years ago, I had the opportunity to step in and start leading human resources. I've been an IT guy my entire life, focused on servers and network infrastructure and things like that. Once I got out of my comfort zone and started working with the human element of people in, in the corporate world, my eyes opened and I realized, okay, hold on, there's there's more to this. And then I started discovering leadership development and organizational development, and it, it lit a fire in me. And, and I found that passion and purpose and dream. And I was having a conversation with uh, my boss recently, and he was asking, hey, how, how are you doing? And I was like, I feel amazing. I have this sense of purpose. And I shared that we have the podcast and things like that. But once you are following or pursuing that dream and you have your sense of purpose, I, I just I can't even begin to describe the amount of fulfillment that it brings in all aspects of your life. You're just in such a better place. Yeah, I love that uh, that you did it part time. I mean, I, if you can't make the leap 100 percent, do it part time. Start off on nights. Mm-hmm. Start off doing it on the weekends. Yep. It's Saturday. Yep, that's exactly right. And and while there's still a significant amount of stressors and pressure, when I do this on nights and weekends, it's just, man, it fills my cup. Yeah. Yeah. I still write um, at, I, I wake up at 4.30 in the morning, every, every morning, because I got to get up. I got to get right with myself and then I got to do my creative work before my real job starts. My job that I make money doing because my passion fuels all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I love it. I love it. Okay. So let's see here. What else do we have? Whitewashed tomb. That's your newest book came out just a few months ago, right? That's right. I think back in November, um, whitewashed tomb is a sequel for a dark day in Texas. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, uh, Eli Ridge is my main character and he goes through an evolution in a dark day in Texas. Um, I think there's about a five or six year fictional gap between the books, but uh, it's a continuation of his journey. Okay. All right. I yeah, love it. Okay. So one of the things that you've started doing recently, and maybe you've been doing it for a while, but I just started noticing it is, is reading chapters out of your books and, and you're posting it on, on social media. And so I love it. I love it. What prompted you to start doing that? Well, I'll tell you, um, I want to get this information out and I don't care if it costs me time and money and an investment. I want to plant seeds. And this is a philosophy that I have that I get, that I got from scripture. I'm responsible for planting the seeds. That's it. And and that's what I got to push myself to do. Whether that grows a harvest whether that pays me in dividends, it doesn't matter. I'm responsible for planting the seeds. That's it. And if I focus on that, I'm going to be fulfilled. I'm going to, I'm going to, my mission will be accomplished. And you know, people need a mission in life and that's my mission. I want to plant seeds. I want to encourage people. There's this character. If, if you'll forgive me for telling a, a, a story out of the Bible, it's a cool story. Because this guy that I'm about to talk about is just a small character. He's like one of these guys on the sideline. His name's Barnabas. But he was known as the son of encouragement. He went around encouraging the main characters of the Bible. And I thought that 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 guy deserves an award. Mm -hmm. He's the one that's encouraging these guys to to carry the torch and run, run into battle. We need people like that. 
And fortunately, I've had people in my life who have encouraged me and I want to I want to pay that forward. Man, that's it's so powerful. And whenever whenever you were sharing that, I, and I started kind of going to one of the things that I've learned about in recent years is kind of behavioral assessments. And we all have our different personality profiles, how we operate. And one of the the personality behavioral assessments that I like is called DISC profile. So you have kind of four quadrants of the pie, and you have Ds, which are more direct and dominant, Is, which are kind of very extroverted, bubbly, outgoing. S's are kind of really more stability and support. And C's are highly conscientious, data-driven, things like that. I think about those people that are kind of in the background that are our biggest fans and biggest motivators and support, but maybe they don't like the limelight. They don't like being in front of everybody, but they want to help others be successful. I think it's, it's so crucial that we acknowledge and appreciate and understand their role in our lives and how powerful they can be. Even though they're not at the forefront, they're not behind the camera, they're not creating content, they're still there for a purpose and they have their mission. And whenever you acknowledge that and realize it, that's when the magic happens. Yeah, man. I, I can't agree more. I mean, you, you mentioned that, that something happened in the conversation between me and you that really encouraged you. And that is my payment. The more I hear that, I go, I, I say to myself, okay, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. There's, there's people that have said three words to me in the past that have charged me for years. I mean, I remember giving a little speech, uh, back in, back in grad school. I didn't think it was great, but the instructor said, Hey, Terry, don't ever stop what you're doing because you have a voice. You have this voice. I don't know what it is but it's like a fatherly voice and you're able to speak to people and it's encouraging. And just from that, man, it was incredible what happened. I thought, man, I don't even like my voice. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah. You know, and, uh, it made sense yeah. and, and it's incredible what a little bit of encouragement can do, man. It is. And you know, so there, there are a number of people that I coach with my executive leadership program. There's also people that are kind of early on in their career that, you know, maybe they don't make significant amounts of money, but I still take time and invest and, and help them and coach them out. And in recent months, people have said, I feel like I should be paying you. How, how, why, why aren't you letting me pay you? And my response to them is the fact that you are investing in yourself, the fact that you are so passionate, you are so driven and you're trying to be better that's all the payment I need. Yeah, that's good. That, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Um, because again, it, it is all about helping people out. And, and I just, I love that aspect. Okay. So in terms of these readings, when are you going to narrate your books? Yeah, that's a good that fatherly voice. Yeah. Good question. <laughs> um, I, I'm working on that. Okay. I mean, that's, that, that's kind of like a, this is a means to that end. Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to get this content out there. However, I don't want to rush it. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to narrate a few of my books in my voice. Yes. So, uh, the evolution of a leader would be one and all my best would be one. All my best, I believe, uh, will be my most significant book to date. Okay. Because I, I just think that there's impactful things in there that are going to encourage a lot of people. So that is a plan. That is a plan Good. of mine. 
Good. All right. I've got a couple other things on the burner that yeah. are... That are uh, yeah, you've got quite a few things, which we're going to start getting into. Okay, so any more books in the pipeline? Yeah, I'm working on... I was writing this morning. I'm working on a sequel to uh, Whitewash Tomb. Okay. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. I love it. And and roughly, when is that going to be coming out? Uh, in this year. All right. Fantastic. Okay. So because again, I've expressed interest at, at some point, I'm going to end up writing some, some books or a book. You got it in you. I, I, I hope so. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see. What does that process look like? Whenever back in 2018, I think it was that you said that you got this idea. How long did it take you to write the book? Was it stressful? What, what was that process like? You know what? I had people telling me that I needed to write a book, specifically my wife, Shelly Weaver. I love her. And, uh, she, she's been telling me I need to write a book for years. And I think it was just, um, a, it just took a couple times, uh, for me to, to buy into that. Like f- first you got to buy into yourself. Does Sean have something to offer? I would say, absolutely. You got a lot to offer. You got this great experience. You've developed yourself. You're this freak athlete. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, so you know what, you know what it takes to do something tough. I think that writing a book, um, it takes a lot of discipline and concentrated effort over time. The first book that I wrote took me about six months of plowing Monday through Friday, two hours a morning. And so if you can discipline yourself to do that and you have something valuable to say, I'd encourage you to do it. All right. All right. I'm going to start working on it. I had another guest on the show recently and and he had written a book and he was like, all right, when are you writing yours? And I said, okay, well maybe 2023, I've got some stuff for 2022 goals and things that I want to get accomplished and done. And he was pushing me to do it this year. I, I didn't fully commit, but I'm, I'm considering it just because of the amount of, of effort, because I do want it to be high impact value added. And, and I really want it to help people out. So I, I, I want to make sure that I take my time and do mm-hmm. it right. Sure. Uh, just don't fall into the trap of waiting till the, the perfect time. Cause yeah. you know, that'll never come. I used to struggle with what I'll refer to as, uh, paralysis by analysis. Yeah. And, and that's something that I've had to overcome. And fortunately I was able to get past that early in my career, but I'm so analytical. I want everything to be perfect. And, and I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And whenever I started this podcast, this studio didn't even exist. And it was just like, Hey, let's use the cell phone and let's fire up, plug in my headset and start recording. That's really what it started out as. And then I've, I've come to realize that just starting is such a the most important step because if you think it's got to be perfect it's got to be perfect it's got to be perfect it's never going to get there you're never going to get there yeah and i've watched you build the podcast over a couple years and i wasn't surprised because i i i've i watched you in the gym and you've coached me in the gym a couple times and we got to talk and get to know each other a little bit and i knew what kind of person you were and you're a guy of excellence so when you come out with that book it'll be excellent i appreciate that thank you hey so let's shift gears a little bit you have started acting recently so talk to us a little bit about breaking strongholds. What is that? What prompted you to start working on something like that? So it hasn't been technically recently, but this started a while back. We, um, it's interesting. This is a, this is a total God story and I'll throw it out there and people can come up with their own estimation of, of what they think. But, uh, back in 2018, I started praying 
for me, I go through these cycles where I'm praying deeply and I'll just, and sometimes I just have a simple prayer and the simple prayer that I had, I always start my day with prayer and a little scripture. My simple prayer was God use me to shine your light for seven months straight. That was it, man. I would get down and say, God use me to shine your light. And I think he heard me and I think I was persistent enough that he answered because I get a phone call, not out of the blue, but I wasn't auditioning for anything. I get a phone call from a movie producer who says, Hey, Terry, we met seven months ago, essentially. I mean, it was almost seven months to the date we met in passing. I don't even know if you remember me. I did. Um, but I want you to come on. I want you to come in an audition for this, this role in a television series that we're producing in Montgomery. And I thought to myself, I gotta do this. This is, this is a, this is a godsend. This is an answer to prayers. So, you know, from that point forward, it was probably about a month before I was cast because I had to do some auditions. I had to prove that I could do this and acting isn't easy. Um, <laughs> I imagine not like I'm just like getting chills. thinking right. about it. <laughs> yeah. So it took a while. Um, I got an acting coach to help out with some of the auditions and, um, eventually, man, I, I, I totally believe this is a answer to prayers. Yeah. 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 So what is the, the concept behind the show? Yeah, Breaking Strongholds is about a, a family, a, a small town family in crisis town in crisis. Uh, let me give you a little bit of the storyline. So I'm a single father in the show. It plays out in the city of Montgomery. I have kids who lost their mother and I'm a detective in the show and I'm basically struggling to hold it all together. There's pressure from work. There's pressure from family. And this, this, uh, thought leader moves to town and, and he basically, he's bringing all these followers to town and he's got them wrapped up in this self-help ethereal, you know, uh, if you believe it and you can see it, you can achieve all this stuff. And the whole town's going crazy over this guy, but, but he's really evil. And, um, there's some other cool stuff that happens, but, uh, it's all being filmed in Montgomery. We're having, I'm having the time of my life doing it, but there's a deeper purpose behind it in the show. We're, um, we're bringing out the teen suicide, which is tough to even think about, yeah. man. But there, there are kids, teens, along with adults who are taking their life because they don't think there's anything to live for. And we're going to address that in the show. And my son in the show struggles with these suicidal ideation. And it gets to a point in the show where he almost takes his life. And we're going to show hope for that. God, Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. That's oh, I can't even imagine how difficult that is. But the fact that y'all are putting yourselves out there and creating something like that to help others, to raise awareness of a very real challenge that I mean, is, is that's been a challenge for a long time, I would imagine. But it feels like in recent years or decades, and, and I don't know if it's because of the proliferation of, of social media or like what's driving that, but I just love that you're, you're doing things like that to raise awareness. Yeah. I think it has a lot to do with, um, one, I think there's a real present evil behind it, obviously, but, but a lot of it has to do with our youth sitting around looking at a screen saying, how could I ever live up to this standard? 
I'm not worthy. Why don't I just end it all? Mm-hmm. So you know, we need something on that screen that says, um, no, you are worthy mm-hmm. and, and there's things to live for. Yeah. So do you, from your own personal perspective, what are your thoughts on social media? Well, I think social media is for my, my thoughts are it's, it's a form of entertainment, but you know, it, it's a, it's a big business, man. So, um, we can use it as a tool and, and it, and for me, it is a tool. It's, it's a tool that I'm using to influence others. Um, but a lot of people, you know, they take it, they take it as, as reality and it's not. Yeah. It's very unfortunate. And and I think, you know, it takes someone who is comfortable in knowing who they are, what they're about and what their purpose is to be able to use it as a tool, because it is, if you look at the way social media platforms are designed, they're designed to, to suck people in. Mm-hmm. And they do that by creating polarization and, and inciting anxiety and, and fear and frustration and those types of things because they know it locks people into their platform for longer so that they can sell more ads so they can make more money. Now, when you're aware of that and know how to use that as a tool to, to spread good word, to help people out, I think that's great. But whenever I think about man, if something like Facebook had been around whenever I was a teenager, I would have struggled with it because I wouldn't have, I didn't know who I was, what I was about, what I was focused on in life. So, I mean, I can imagine how challenging that can be as, as a teenager or someone young today. Yeah. It's not only that. I mean, the things that are on TV nowadays are, they're brutal. I mean, there are shows that encourage our kids to take their life it's uh, it's it's tough, man. I can't imagine being a teen. I thought it was tough being a teen when I back in you know the '90s, but uh, it's a it's it's a lot tougher right now, man. And I just, man, I when I see something as as terrible as what we're working uh, to to prevent now, I got I got to get involved. So I'm I'm really excited. Yeah, about good. what this is gonna do. That's incredible. Okay, so let's see here. So what is reflective media productions? I've seen some of that online around your profiles and stuff. Yeah, reflective media productions is the media company that's behind Breaking Strongholds. Okay, all right. And it's structured a lot different than any other movie production company. It's a nonprofit that uh, works solely off of donations Mm -hmm. and produces content media with those donations. Okay. So it's a nonprofit production studio. And uh, it's produced multiple full-length movies, uh, public service announcements, podcasts, and now we're working on our first TV series. I love it. All right. Uh, Okay, so switching gears, talk to me about the Vell Institute. What is that? Vell Institute is a a nonprofit that helps veterans, entrepreneurs, and leaders connect and develop. It's a nonprofit that got started back in 2014. I was the founder. And it grew moderately for a couple years. And I got to a point where I said, I don't know what I'm doing and I need some help. And I think that's, that is a significant point. If anyone can get there, that's trying to build something. And, uh, once that happened, it was pivotal for the organization because I started reaching out to to people for help. A couple other veterans got involved. One of them is a remarkable, remarkable guy. His name's Charles Noonan, and uh, he's a Navy vet also. He came in as a co-founder. A guy named Will Holder came in as a co-founder and really 
once I got the right people around the table, along with our, our board of directors, Bob Koenig was a big part of that. Uh, Bob Milner was a huge part of that. Once those, the right people got around the table, it just kind of exploded and it's still around today doing good. We hold a leadership, uh, speaking engagements, um, eight week leadership courses, all kinds of neat stuff. I've stepped back with the, um, the, the television production and I'm no longer involved, but it's a great organization. So, so basically helping, helping people that, that are transitioning out of the military into kind of public life, not just out of the military, but out of their former chapter. So, I mean, there, there are vets along this spectrum. They go from getting out of the military to, uh, trying to advance their career. Mm -hmm. So what we did is we designed a program that's probably 20 years ahead of its time where we're helping, um, bring veterans in company of entrepreneurs and leaders and help helping them grow together through these eight week training courses. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things, a good friend of mine, Jason Hitchcock, he's a retired Navy SEAL master chief. For some reason, I think he has mentioned the Vell Institute to me before. Does that name ring any bells for you? Well, I think I mentioned Vell to you mm -hmm. to, to get it in front of Jason. Now, that's if right. that's happened or not, I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. But uh, back when we were working out together, um, I knew that you knew Jason Hitchcock somehow. Mm -hmm. He's a retired. You did a podcast with him. I did. I listened mm -hmm. to that. Yeah. And so a guy of his caliber, uh, we would, we would invite him to come in and speak or maybe hold a training course. So, yeah. So that's one of the things that he he's doing now is I think about a year or so, maybe a year and a half, he started a, a group called, uh, Armada United and a, a lot of, you know, a passion of his is helping vets kind of transition into corporate America because that was something he was a retired Navy SEAL master chief. And whenever he came into corporate America, he still struggled because it is a, it's a transition totally. to, to, to move from an entire career in the military into like a publicly traded corporation. That's like a massive business. That's, that's a big transition. And so I think he has a soft spot in his heart to try to help people out through that. And I know that, that he and Pat Strawbridge, who's his managing partner that, you know, they work together on it, that they do a lot of things in helping veterans with that transition. So I'll make sure that we get you guys connected and, and they do a lot of leadership development, coaching and mentoring and stuff like that as well. Cool. So there's definitely some alignment. I'll make sure that you guys get hooked up. Right on, man. Thanks. All right. So fitness. So we've known each other, both going to Lift Strong Run Fast on and off over the years. I've, it's very intermittent for me just because of travel and schedule and stuff like that. But you recently did 40 pull-ups. Yeah. At I was 40 a, years old. At 40. At 40 at 40. Yeah. I encourage everybody to try. Yeah. Yeah. So what prompted that? You know, it's, it was just one of these hairy goals that I threw out there that I wanted to, I wanted to achieve at 40. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, uh, this is so, you know, ridiculously impossible. I want to throw it out and see if I can go after it, but it was something, something big and hairy. And I, I worked at it for something crazy, like seven months and mm -hmm. finally got it done. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, fitness is, is such a, a crucial part of, of life and fitness and wellness. And I've had Chase Banks come on and we've had a lot of people come on. Scott Wells was, has been on a few times. And whenever I think about becoming the best version of ourselves, wellness and fitness has to play a part in it. It does 
play a significant part in it. And I know you've always been into fitness and exercising and, and LSRF. Have you been recently? I, I haven't been to the gym lately. No, I think we, we started at, uh, or I started LSRF back in 2016 or 2015. That's when we first met. And mm-hmm. I came as a chunk, you know, I'd, I'd let myself get out of shape and yeah. I was coming into this extreme to me, it was extreme mm-hmm. workout environment. And I saw you kicking butt and I'm like, man, I need to chase this guy, you know? <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, I got in the best shape of my life there and it really helped me develop some new ways to work out. And man, Scott's so knowledgeable. I love mm-hmm. that guy. I had to, I got in the uh, baptismal tank with him on his 40th birthday and got to help baptize him. But, uh, yeah, um, I, I try, I do my best to stay in shape and I agree with you, man. It's hard to run a body if it's not fine tuned. I mean, you know, when, when you're, when your physical shape and your, and your health is out of whack, everything kind of follows, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It all, it all kind of plays into one another. Mm-hmm. You've got to be right mentally, you've got to be right physically, the, the hormonal balances. I mean, there's a lot of aspects to performing at, at our best. And, and I think it's important for us to focus on becoming our best so that we can help others achieve their, because if we're in a bad place, if we're in a dark place, if we're not healthy, it makes it very difficult for us to, to help others. That's right. Yeah. How do you do all of this? There's, I mean, author, actor, the Vell Institute, like all, how, how do you do all of this? Well, I, you know, that's, that's a, that's years almost a decade worth of stuff. So it, it looks like a lot, but I'll tell you, I wake up early. I drink a lot of coffee. I pray, I work out and just kind of, I try to stay focused on today and I stay out of my time machine. And this is something I learned in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I, uh, I, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I started probably about a decade ago and it helped me move out of a really dark place. And there's some wise people in alcohol, some interesting and wise people in, in AA. But one of these fellows that I met in there, um, he said, hey, Terry, you need to stay out of your time machine. Quit traveling to the past and quit traveling to the future and stay in today. Live in this day tight compartment. And, you know, we're not guaranteed tomorrow and we can't do anything about the past. So um, it's best just to focus on, on coming to my podcast this morning and focusing on doing my very best with Sean and then moving on to the rest of my day and, and focusing on the day. That is something that admittedly I've struggled with. And I, I wrote that down, staying out of the time machine, because that resonates with me. My, my favorite movie growing up was back to the future and then the series or the trilogy, I should say. And so whenever I think about staying out of my time machine, I have a tendency and I'm not sure I haven't really dug into the why behind it, but I have a tendency to, if I'm struggling with a situation or a team member or just anything is I will kind of run out scenarios and model out scenarios in my head to figure out if the conversation goes this way, I'll respond this way. If it goes this way, I'll do this. And it, I mean, it can completely consume me. I'll lose during especially stressful times with work and things like that, I'll, I'll lose hundreds and hundreds of hours of sleep in a year just by like running scenarios through my head, trying to figure out what does this do? Probably about two years, year and a half, two years ago, 
I started to really focus on living in the present. And yes, I might say, hey, I need to be prepared for this conversation, but losing hours of sleep, that's not helpful. That's like, because what I find is I'll get into the conversation. That is not a scenario I modeled out. Now what do I do? (laughs) So it's good to try to be prepared, but at the same time, when you live in the moment, and you just realize, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna spend this time in the morning. So for me, I like to get up and I'll I'll go into my my spare bedroom and stretch and foam roll and I I just kind of think about my day and I get my head going. And sometimes I do slip back into that old way of thinking, but I try to focus on living in this moment, enjoying this time. It's peaceful. It's quiet. Sometimes the birds are chirping, depending on what time of year it is and how early I'm getting up. But trying to live in the moment has been so helpful for me. And, and staying out of my time machine, I'm going to steal that from you. I'm probably going to use it at Do some it. point in the future. But um, And then living in the past, there's nothing that we can do about it. I had a guest on the show recently, and he was asking me, like, what are some things that that occurred as a leader that you wish they hadn't had or you wish you would have done differently? And, and in recent years, again, I've come to realize that everything unfolds exactly as it should. And if those things hadn't occurred, I would not have learned those lessons that I learned. And so there's really no point in wasting time and energy reflecting back, well, I wish I would have done this differently because it occurred exactly how it needed to occur for you to arrive where you are today. Yeah. Good word, man. There's another, you make me think of another thing that I learned at in, uh, in AA and that's, uh, just focus on keeping your side of the street clean. We have, um, we have so little control. However, we get wrapped up in thinking we have control of how a conversation is going to turn out. What I can say to get them to kind of bend to my will. That's a trap, man. It is. So uh, good saying is um, in AA is uh, just make sure your side of the street's clean. You can't do anything about your neighbor throwing trash in their driveway, but you can make sure you're a good example and you can keep your side of the street clean. And I, I think that once people kind of surrender control, um, there's a lot of freedom in that. And uh, we, we've, we control very little. Now we can control ourselves. We have a lot of self-control if we'll take it, but uh, we, don't, we don't control others. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, there's something, do you know who Jordan Peterson is? Oh yeah. So I have so much respect for him and just his, the way he thinks, I mean, brilliant intellectual. I envy his intellect, but it's, you know, one of the things that resonates with me, I saw a video where somebody was talking to him and he was on a panel or sitting on a stage or something. And, and I think the lady asked a question around something to do with like, shouldn't we do everything we can to help prevent global warming or climate change or something to that effect. And his, and his response was, you know, he sees a lot of people that are trying to change the world, trying to force others, hey, buy an electric car and, and all of that. And he said he thinks it's important to get your own house in order first. Before you go try to change the world, make sure your own house is in order. And, you know, the, the guest, she didn't really care for that response, but that kind of resonated with me whenever you said, hey, make sure your side of the street is clean first because you're setting an example. And that's all we can do. We can control ourselves and we can set that example. Yeah, I think the trap in that question is, don't you think everybody else should do X? No, no. I think I should do what's very best for everybody around me and myself and keep that control limited to, to yourself. Yeah. I mean, we have no control of what 
people do for the environment. No, no. All right. So let's see here. If I were to ask you, what is your mission or purpose in life? How would you respond to that? Yeah, good. That's really good. You know, I want to mention there's this little book um, called Three Big Questions. And I, I was able to kind of hone my life mission, vision, and purpose into a statement. And basically, my life mission is to use my creativity, my faith, and my influence to uh, to, to change the world. Now I won't change the globe, but I'll change the, the you know, my little sphere of influence. So I want to use my abilities to help make the world a better place. As cliche as that sounds, um, I need to leave this place good for the future. I need to leave it good for my kids and my grandkids and my neighbors. Part of loving my neighbors is doing the very best I can to, to influence them and, and, um, encourage them. So that's, that's kind of my life mission, man. I love it. All right. So let's see here. Before we start to wrap this up, any other final words that you would like to share? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big quote guy. You'll, you'll see that in the books. Um, there's this movie called Dead Poets Society. Have you seen that? Yeah, there, there's a famous quote that in that movie, and I put it in most of my books, but uh, it's a it's a Thoreau quote, I believe, but he was a student of Emerson. So maybe it came from Emerson, but it's a quote that, um, that basically says most men live lives of quiet desperation. And I remind myself of that often because I don't want to live a life of quiet desperation. I want to live boldly. I want to change the things that I can change and I want to do my very best for others. So remind whoever's listening, remind yourself of that quote. Most men live lives of quiet desperation. If you think about that and the people around us, ah, I think it's true. It is. It, it absolutely is. And, you know, it's interesting that it comes from, from a movie. And, and one of the things that I think about is when, when you look at, at content that's being created, especially TV shows and movies and things like that, a lot of times, and maybe this is just me, but you think about, okay, well, this is, this is here for entertainment purposes, but there's things that we pick up and, and they resonate with us and are meaningful with us. And it gives us kind of helps feed into our purpose in life. And so while social media can, can be, it has its faults. It's important to make sure that you're you're focusing on the right things in life, that you're picking up on those little subtle cues, because I do believe that everything that crosses our feed, that comes across our screen, if we're looking for the right thing, we're going to find it. Yeah, and maybe, maybe it's a message that's negative and you want to counter that. I mean, we need more people, good people, to step up and get in the media to help out with our culture, because... The number one influence thing that's influenced our culture is our media, whether you believe it or not. Um, you hit it on the head. I mean, these movies that we watch, they may not be overt. We might not be able to quote them, but you better believe they're influencing us. And so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of media that's changing our country. That's why I'm working on a TV series. That's why I write. That's why I come on and and I'm I'm your guest because I want to be a part in influencing culture. We need more good guys and gals in this battle. We do. So what's next for you? We've talked about a little bit of upcoming books and breaking strongholds. What, what's next for you? 
what's next? I don't know. I mean, I'm working on this uh, fifth book and um, I'm helping finish write uh, another season of Breaking Strongholds. Um, I'm, I was fortunate enough to be uh, called into the, the writing room, if you will, and I'm getting to help with that. Um, the show's up for some awards, so we're excited about that. Um, but that's what I'm focused on. All right. Yeah. How do people contact you or find out more about you? Terryweaverbooks.com. That's probably the, uh, the source of, of everything or check me out on the socials. All right, Terry, thank you so much for joining the show. For all of you listening and on Terry's live stream that we've been doing, thank you for tuning in. Thank you all so much for everything that you do, for listening, for sharing the content. Y'all are absolutely amazing. This is why we do the things that we do. Y'all have a good one.